Good morning, everybody. If I'm uh, yet to meet you, my name's Dave, and I'm a member of the church family here. Uh, And before I uh, start, why don't we uh, read the passage that I'm going to seek to unpack for us. So if you grab a Bible, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, starting at verse 15, so that's on page 874. So we're in Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who'd been invited, Come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there still is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let me pray for us before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we come to these words of Jesus, help us to love him more. Help us to hear his words and warning that we must love the kingdom first overall. Help us to resolve to demonstrate that in the way we live and to share the great news about the kingdom feast that Jesus invites us to. Amen. Well, as you'll have seen from the reading, we've, we've jumped into uh, a scene with Jesus in conversation. Uh, he's in conversation with uh, a number of uh, Pharisees and religious leaders. He's been invited to a dinner party. So Jesus, having um, started his ministry uh, in and around Galilee, his, his local area, having taught and worked signs and miracles, has gathered a following and gathered some, some repeat, some fame, And he's on his way to Jerusalem. And in Luke's gospel, this this journey to Jerusalem uh, spans a substantial amount of his narrative. So Luke takes the time to to, to give us a window into the conversations and the interactions and the miracles that Jesus worked as he passed from Galilee to Jerusalem, as he went on the way to the cross. And Luke 14 is one of these snapshots, one of these windows into those stories. Jesus is at a feast a feast that in in theory had been thrown in his honor, we're told that he's at the table of one of the rulers of the law. But while it might appear to be a great honor to be invited, what we find here actually is something of of a setup. We're told at the very beginning of Luke 14, if you want to flick back a page, um, that they were watching him carefully. That's in verse one of chapter 14. Jesus has been invited to a trap. He's been invited to a trap. 
because the teaching that Jesus had been delivering both in Galilee and then on the way to Jerusalem was not what the religious leaders and the rulers expected to hear. He did preach good news of a kingdom, just not the kingdom they wanted. We know that at that time, many believed that God was going to deliver his king who was then going to deliver his people from the oppression of the Roman Empire. They wanted a king with a sword in his fist who would ride out ahead of them and deliver them from the yoke of slavery they felt burdened by from their Roman occupiers. And we know that the Pharisees and religious leaders wanted a king who would endorse their vision of how God's law should be interpreted and should, should stand alongside them and say, yes, this is how we should live. And Jesus doesn't fit either of those molds, does he? Jesus comes with his good news of a kingdom that to them seemed completely upside down. It's a kingdom where the, the first are last, and the last are first, where the proud are made humble, and the humble are exalted, where the poor become rich, and the rich become poor. And Jesus brings this good news of the kingdom and chooses a medium to teach it. He doesn't address them directly. He doesn't sit at the dinner table with the Pharisees and say, guys, you're wrong. Let me tell you why. Because he knows, well, that's not going to change a heart. That's going to create a sense of opposition. And Jesus comes and he brings them parables, just like the parable we're going to look at this morning. And at this dinner party, Jesus has used parable already to highlight the problem with the view that the guests at the table took about how God's law should be followed. He's confronted their, their misaligned and their hypocritical Sabbath priorities at the very beginning of the chapter in verses 1 through to 5. And then he's told a parable that confronts their desire for, for social status and their love only for those who could return the favor in the parable of the wedding feast. And now we come to the parable of the great banquet. And we see here Jesus lay out a challenge, a challenge before his fellow dinner guests and a challenge to us. And the challenge is profound. The parable asks us, what's your first priority? What do you really love? Because if your first priority is not the kingdom, Jesus says, well, you're in trouble. The kingdom must be our first priority. And if it is, then we've got to live in light of it. We can't just say it is and then not live in light of that truth. And if the kingdom is our first priority and we live in light of it, well, we can't help but invite others to hear the good news of the kingdom. So that's the scene. Let's uh, jump into the parable itself. Um, and we read in verse 15, don't we, that one of the table guests exclaims, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever been confronted with the icebreaker question. Um, if you had a, a chance to invite three or four people to a dinner party, who would you invite? Now, if I was a, I'm a teacher, so if I work at this point, we'd say, okay, have a minute where you are to talk about that, and then we'll feedback. We'll not do that. You'll be relieved to know. I'll not put you on the spot like that. Um, and I'll not get sidetracked either by telling you my answers. We can do that over coffee afterwards. Um, but one thing I can say with absolute certainty is if my dinner party guests were in front of me, I would put my, um, my foot in my mouth. I'd say something that I was slightly embarrassed by. I would I'd try to impress, and I'd come out with some pearl of wisdom that afterwards, on the walk or drive home, I'd be reflecting on and thinking, oh, man alive, what was I thinking when I said that? 
And there's a little bit of me that wonders about this guy here in verse 15, whether as he made his way home after this feast, he thought, what was I thinking when I said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God? Maybe he was, he was trying to diffuse the palpable sense of a rising tension around the table, having listened and seen Jesus call out the fellow dinner guests throughout the course of the meal so far. Maybe he's trying to reset the evening and put it back on, a, on an even keel. Or maybe he's, he's showing off. Maybe he thinks, hey, this new rabbi from, from Nazareth, he, he needs to know his place. He's at a table with great and learned people who, who know what's true. Maybe he needs to hear some words of wisdom from me. But in his attempt either to impress or defuse the situation, he actually portrays a, a profound misunderstanding about the kingdom. Firstly, when he says, blessed everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, he expresses about himself and his fellow guests a sense there is no doubt that they will be there, that that bread of the kingdom was for him. That bread was for the fellow dinner guests, those guys around the table, those rulers of the religious life of the people of Israel. And it's easy for us to think, well, we would never be quite so presumptuous as that. And yet, I think there's a danger sometimes that we can or that we can appear to be so when we're talking to people who don't yet share our faith. There's a danger that in the amazing assurance of salvation that we have if we put our trust in Jesus as Lord and King, that we can speak without careful thought especially to those who don't yet know Jesus. And so one of the things as we approach our, our, our month of seeking to reach our community and our friends through the Passion for Life ministry, we need to do is to pray for wisdom, to pray for wisdom for the words to say, to pray for wisdom so that, that when we speak of Jesus and we speak of the kingdom and we speak of our assurance and hope, we do so with humility so we don't seem removed from reality or misguided or even arrogant. That's the risk that this guy fell into, this man who declares at the feast. And it's my prayer that, that I won't fall into that same trap and the same will be true of you. And to help us avoid that, Jesus then starts his parable. He starts to teach about the feast. And in using this parable, as we said already, he's seeking to reorient his audience's way of thinking and to start to see the kingdom the way he does. And so the parable begins in verse 16. Jesus said to them, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. There might have been a sigh of relief around the table as Jesus' parable begins. A man is giving a great banquet. Okay, that's a social occasion we can all understand. In fact, we're sharing in one now, so far, so good. And the master sends out his servant to, to reissue the invitation to the banquet. Okay, good, we're still on safe ground. That's the social custom of the time. You would let somebody know of the impending feast, and then when the time came for the banquet, you would go and tell people, right, it's time, come, come to the feast. The first invitation was like a save the date, and the second invitation was a, right, it's time for the party. And so the servant goes out, and Jesus draws his guests and us into a world that we think we understand and we can appreciate. But that's when things change in Jesus' parable. The servant goes out and says, come, everything's ready, it's time for the party. But the guests all make excuses, verse 18. 
not just one or two people dropping out, which in this day and age is natural and understandable. We're very used to not being able to keep the plans we might have had. But here, that would have caused grave offense. This would have made Jesus' audience incredulous. You just did not do that. If you'd been invited to the feast, to not go and receive that offer of hospitality was deeply offensive. And then when we look at the excuses made, well, it's fair to say that none of these excuses are convincing, are they? Each of the three excuses made conveys some sense of an alternative loyalty, an obligation or a commitment to something else. The first guest, well, he's bought a field. He needs to go and check it's okay. The second guest bought some oxen. He needs to go and review them. And the final guest wants to stay at home, having just been married. The excuses prioritize self over the banquet. They prioritize the individual rather than the master. The first two guests are more concerned with their financial or commercial status, motivated by a desire to, to protect and preserve their treasure. They betray the location of their heart, don't they? Their heart resides in the treasure they hold there and then. And the third guest, we think, is, is demonstrating some kind of misinterpretation of God's law. You see, um, in uh, the Old Testament law, it said when you were married for the first year of your new uh, married life, you could be excused military service. But the third guest takes God's law, which preserves him from alternative obligations, and tampers with it and uses it as an excuse not to go. We may say, see there Jesus subtly calling out the misinterpretation of God's law that his dinner guests were guilty of. And the opening section of the Jesus parable, well, it communicates something profound to the guests at the table that Jesus tells it to. God had issued his first invitation to his kingdom feast already. He'd given them the law and the writings and the prophets we read it, didn't we, earlier in Isaiah 25. There is going to be a great feast. He issued that invitation and revealed himself to their forefathers in word, gifted to them then in Torah, and then indeed in raising them up out of slavery in Egypt and establishing them as a kingdom. All of this despite their repeated unfaithfulness to him. God had issued the first invite, and as we, if you read the Old Testament, you read again and again of the people's acceptance of the invitation, and then failure to uphold the covenant promises that they made to God. And yet, the master generously issues a second invitation. Jesus, God made man, walks among them. Jesus, God made man, walks and issues an invitation, come to the kingdom banquet. Come under my authority. See me as Lord King, God's anointed savior and Messiah. Walk among me, receive my grace, receive my blessing. But as we know, as we work our way through this Lenten season and we approach Good Friday, that invitation is rejected. The master issues the invitation. Jesus offers grace unbounding. And again, we run the risk of reading this parable and thinking, oh, thank goodness I'm not like them. Like the Pharisee, in the power of the Pharisee and the, and the tax collector, thank goodness I'm not like them. I, I would never have ignored Jesus' invitation. But I wonder as we reflect on the week gone by, if there's a moment where, despite knowing that we are to store up our treasures in heaven, we've actually held our treasure on earth far closer. Whether that's a possession, whether that's our 
money and our financial obligations, whether that's our time or what we choose to devote ourselves to. And in those moments, as we reflect on the week gone by and we think about the week ahead, the parable challenges us. Where, where is your treasure, really? When we hear the call of invitation to the banquet, are we going to respond quickly and attend? Are we going to devote ourselves to serving the king and the kingdom? Or are we going to make an excuse? I'm, I'm too tired to spend time with God this morning. I'm having 15 more minutes in bed, 20 more minutes in bed, whatever it may be. Or actually, I'm too tired this evening. I can't call my brother or sister who I know is struggling because I, I just need some time to myself. Or I haven't got time to email the finance office about my plans for giving, like Joanna asked us to think about last week. All these little moments betray in our hearts where our treasure really resides. And Jesus asks us this morning, challenges us in these words, where does your heart really want to be? Are you coming to the banquet? Unsurprisingly, in the parable we read, the master is angry. Starting at verse 21, the servant came and he reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my, ha my house may be filled. The master is filled with righteous anger at his guest's rudeness. And that anger would have been shared by those at the table. So if we picture ourselves back around that dinner table with Jesus and the people who were hosting him, they're back on safe ground, but it's only for a moment. They're back in a world they understand, but just long enough for Jesus to press the reset button <coughs> to realign them and then take them somewhere new. Because in the master's anger, there isn't a negative reaction. There's not words of judgment. No, there's a positive reaction and there's positive action. The table must be filled. The banquet won't go wasted. But did you see who the table is filled with? Did you hear that in verse 21? It's filled with the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And if you look, if you've got your Bible still open, just up to verse 13, you see that same list. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. That same list is there just earlier in this same conversation. Why is Jesus repeating this list? Well, this is the group of people who God's Old Testament law had said couldn't participate fully in temple worship. They could not go into the sanctuary. And yet here, who is to be at the feast? Who is, who is first at the kingdom table? It's the least. The people who previously had been barred. The privileged guests, rich enough to own fields and oxen, well, they're not going to be there. But the poor are, and the crippled, and the blind and the lame. And still, the table is not yet full. But the master's determined there can be no empty, empty seats. And so the servant's dispatched again to compel people living on the lanes and the highways and the hedges. That word compel is not force. He's not grabbing people by the scruff of the neck and to drag them back to the banquet. But it's determination. It conveys a sense of you're not to take no for an answer. Don't let them tell you they're not good enough to come to the master's table. They, they must hear the message. 
They must receive the bountiful generosity of the king. No was an answer that could not be received by this servant. And this extended invitation, many take to be a message to you and I, those of us who are Gentiles, not of Jewish background, that the extension of the bountiful welcome to the kingdom feast isn't just for those who were part of that old covenant relationship between God and his people, but for all. We're the people who spiritually had been in the highways, hedges, and lanes outside of that gift, and yet now we're drawn in. Jesus' offer of grace, forgiveness, assurance, and hope is not just for those who perceive their own self-righteousness or those who are experts in the Old Testament law. It's for all. And we have a wonderful invitation that we share and we have it to offer. We have an invitation to be grafted in to that old covenant faithfulness and law and relationship with God and to come and feast at the banquet of the king. In Revelation, the apostle John's gifted a vision of what this banquet's gonna be like. In Revelation chapter 19, he, he describes it for us and he says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I don't know about you, but I read those words and it just makes me excited. Like one day we're going to be at the feast, the feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be one of those great multitude making such a noise, it's like a peal of thunder. What a gift it is that we have heard the invitation to the feast and we haven't ignored it, that we've been drawn out from the lanes and the bushes and the hedgerows to be a, master, a guest of the king. And now we face the challenge, don't we? That our role changes, if you like, from guest to servant and that we need to feel that same sense of being compelled and compelling others to draw people in. And that's why this next month is so important and such a gift to us, isn't it? The good news that has transformed the hearts of those of us who call Jesus Lord and King, the gift of the Holy Spirit who inspires us to grow to be more like Jesus each day, well, that, those gifts, they present us with a task and a challenge. Can we go out and can we bring people in to hear the good news of Jesus, to issue the invitation to the feast? So can I urge you, um, as Ben urged us last week at the Passion for Life launch event, to be praying. Um, and not praying just, um, it's not bad to pray generic prayers, don't get me wrong, don't want to misspeak here, but praying for specific opportunities with specific people or groups of people to invite them to join us in church in one of the Sundays in the coming month. As Ben said last week, it's a really dangerous prayer because it seems to be the kind of prayer that God loves to answer. When we pray for those moments and those opportunities where we're awake to share the good news of Jesus or awake to the opportunity to say, well, why don't you come along next Sunday? We've got this great guest speaker Give us what we're passionate about. It'd be, it'd be great if you just join us. I'm sure you'll have a great time. Come for lunch afterwards, whatever it might be. Be praying for those moments this week and praying for one another that we'll be courageous 
when those opportunities present themselves. I'm praying that prayer for myself, because um, I know that it's very easy to say and much harder to do, uh, and I'm praying it for you as well. Because if we love Jesus more than anything else, and if the kingdom's our first priority, and if we're convinced that the good news of Jesus and of his life and his death and resurrection is the best news ever, and if we want these people to be sat beside us at the feast of the king in glory for eternity, then we've got to be bold, haven't we? And issue the invitation. The parable concludes in verse 24 with these words. I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste the feast of my banquet. Also, shall taste my banquet. Now, those final words in the parable, in this moment in the life of Jesus, um, would have been words of confrontation. Um, there is no record in Luke of Jesus being invited back, and I don't think that's a surprise. He has confronted his fellow dinner guests with profound and, for them, troubling truths. Uh, but just like them, we face a moment of choosing, don't we? Do we hear the call? Do we hear the call of the kingdom? Do we hear the invitation to the feast? Are we prepared to put everything else aside to assure that we attend it, to place our treasure in heaven? and not on earth, where moth and rust destroys. Because as we move through Lent, we can't escape the reality that for us to attend the feast, for us to be citizens of the kingdom, it cost Jesus everything. Jesus endured unspeakable pain, rejection, humiliation, even death on the cross. And he did that to prepare our place, your place, my place. And now he invites us to serve alongside him, and to put his kingdom first, and to share the great privilege of serving him and this kingdom by telling the world. And as I finish this morning, it's my prayer that we'll do this with diligence over the days and week ahead. And as we go out and seek to put God's kingdom first, we have an opportunity then in this song to orient our hearts and to prioritize that, an opportunity to sing with awe and wonder about all that Jesus has done. So please um, stand with me to sing.